0: we start with the latest news from motoring journalist damien reed he's the person to ask when it comes to new releases motorsports news and all things on wheels damien good morning good to have you on the program
1: Good morning, Ray. Great to hear the show.
0: Yeah, it's a brand new show. It's very exciting. And it's, it's great to kick it off with uh, with you on the programme. I know you've been, you've been on Dubai I so much. You're very well respected as a motoring journalist. And we really appreciate you joining us. We've put together some of the, the biggest stories that are um, taking place in the motoring world. And the first one is a little bit worrying. It's a survey that's been done by AXA Golf about how residents uh, understand car insurance or perhaps... I should say they don't understand car insurance. In their latest survey, they found that 67% of respondents were unaware of basic insurance terms such as TP, third party. And only one in five knew that the acronym NCD stood for no claims discount. Does that surprise you?
1: You know what? In a way, it doesn't really, because we've become so numb to the concept of when we purchase a car. Oh, you have to get insurance. It mm. just becomes one of those terms. You have to do it, and you pay them. You pay the figure. You sign the check. You hand them the credit card. You do whatever, and you, whatever it takes to get you in the car, as the salesman says. Yeah. <laughs> and you're out the door, <laughs> and you don't think about. You're right. You don't think about. Do, do yeah. I have a, a no claim discount? Is it is it only third party? Is it comprehensive? Um, mm. And you can be left incredibly vulnerable if you don 't know what you've what you signed up for I think it, it, it actually is very worrying you know
0: if if the stats are are sort of indicative of of people in general, but it suggests that many motorists actually don 't have any idea of the level of their insurance coverage, and 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 they're they're therefore potentially driving around unprotected. I mean, in terms of terms and conditions and things like that. I mean, when's the I mean, you're a motoring journalist, you know about these things, but when's the last time you actually sat down and read through the T's and C's of of an insurance policy? I have to admit, I, I very rarely <laughs> have done that.
1: Um, I, I'm in the same boat. You're yeah. very, <laughs> incredibly rarely because you kind of you know it's it's one of those situation. It's, its like, I mean, let, let, let's flip it. Let's look at something else that, that mm. with the, an aspirational purchase, where you know you you, you buy a, uh, a a business class ticket to to the Maldives for a holiday. Mm. When was the last time you, you you read the fine print on the back to to work out your travel insurance or what you're covered by if yeah. you get sick? You know, it's it's one—it's the same. We're in the same boat, but unfortunately we spend an awful lot more time in our cars than we do flying to luxury holiday locations.
0: No, absolutely, absolutely. But let's talk about responsibility. Whose responsibility do you think it is to make sure that um, customers understand their policies? Do you think it's the insurance company need to make the effort, or, or is it basically it's all down to the to the customer i mean at the end of the day they are they're doing something quite serious i mean we love our cars but at the same time you are driving something you, you know that, that potentially you could hurt somebody with if you're not careful and so there is a level of, of adult responsibility that's involved in that
1: yeah very much so i mean ultimately ultimately as, as the law plays it it falls back into the onus of the owner yeah. the owner is the one who signs the who signs away at the bottom saying that they've read and understood everything but but you're right. I mean, there has to be um, there has to be, uh, I guess, an education process to understand what you're signing up for mm. and, and and what um, what are the potentials, the the liabilities when you climb behind the wheel, and and that falls back, I guess, into into the dealership. That if if it's coming from a dealer, if it's a private seller, that's a whole different story. It's yeah. a difficult one, but if it's a dealer then yeah, I guess the you know, the dealer should be able to I mean he points out the, the, the figures, the performance figures and the 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 comfort mm-hmm. features and the airbags and those kind of safety features, but the responsibility of once you're on the road yeah you know, these are things that we all should really have when we get our license. And yeah. and I I and I guess that should be carried over. But but it doesn't hurt to have them reinforced. It's, and it's- uh It's the
0: education level. I think, uh, you know, for a lot of us, unfortunately, it's it's sort of down to um, how well our parents have sort of trained us when we're beginning to learn to drive. They obviously tell us about the safety, but we don't always learn about the the paperwork. Uh, Linda's texted on 4001. She says, we're just going through the motions when we renew our car registration. We don't have time to look at the T's and C's. It's just something to tick off our to do list. Uh, Do you think that's fair?
1: Yeah, it is. It, 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 I mean, mm. that, that's what a lot of us do, yeah. and uh, and we just we tick it off and move on. But but you know, the reality is, it's like again, you know, you flip it to something else when you purchase a house or, or something. You, you need to understand the fine print, and yes. and uh, no one likes reading insurance jargon and fine print. But no. unfortunately, yeah, we we have to do it.
0: Let's move on uh, to another story. Uh, Hummer uh, has brought out an EV. Very exciting. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Hummer was a uh, a vehicle that initially came as a military vehicle and was sold. Mm. It was actually kind of popular here with the, the, the original H1 and then the, the H2 and H3. Mm. General Motors bought the brand, it disappeared. But they kept the brand in the cupboard, wondering one day whether well, we might bring it out again. And they've done it. <laughs> in the <laughs> it In the most bizarre way. Well, car companies do that. They just yeah. buy yeah. brands. and I mean, every british car brand has disappeared belongs to a car company i think mm. bmw owns most of them and they just they just keep them there for one day
2: yeah
1: um but but yeah and and so general motors have brought hummer back uh in 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 an in, a, in, a, in an unusual way i guess i mean they brought back the, the the big suv but they have brought mm. it back as a as a fully 100 percent electric vehicle and uh it looks exciting. Yeah, it, it is. looks really interesting.
0: It is, I and mean, it's, it's, it's. I mean, I, I've loved the Hummer, and I've always wanted to, to own one. Um, but it, you know, it's a serious kind of statement uh, vehicle, um, and and they're making a statement by by bringing out the EV version. Because you know, they're saying you know you can have a, a huge I hesitate to say the sort of uh, masculine uh, car, but and it can and it can also be environmentally friendly as well.
1: Yeah, well, this is it, um, and and now this is something we've not thought about EVs in terms of being out in the wild in the in the desert and big SUVs. But the, get get around the range issue, and that is an issue when you, yeah. as we all know, when you drive through sand, you chew a lot of petrol. It's the same with the battery car. Get around that issue,
2: yeah.
1: and there is some enormous benefits to having an electric vehicle out in the in the desert. I, I spoke with the president of Jeep not long ago, about a few weeks ago, Christian mm-hmm. Munier, and he's talking about putting charging stations in the desert that act as Centres that deflate your tyres, and 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 you can also charge up. But mm. you know, when you have an EV in the desert, like 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 the Hummer, for instance, then you can power things like um, hot water showers, uh, music, uh, big lo- flood lighting for your campsites, um, and not to mention the, the amount of storage space because you've got all that area under the, under the nose where the engine used to be yeah. as storage as well. So there um and then the torque i mean my goodness you know Mm. there is no sand dune that that this thing will not conquer it's putting out (laughs) fifteen thousand six hundred newton meters of torque wow which is roughly more than 10 times probably 15 times the amount as as your conventional suv that is crazy talk to us about the
0: price how much we're gonna have to uh, part with to get our hands on this
1: well, at this stage, uh, they haven't, they haven't uh, uh, confirmed it for, right. uh, for here Prices yet, but, but you'd be looking uh, – I'm guessing you'd be looking around about the probably the 600s for here because it, it is a very high-end vehicle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we're talking about a vehicle that does – being electric, it does 0 to 100 kilometres an hour, in, they say, in around three seconds. It's the equivalent mm. of 1,000 horsepower, They say 15,500 newton metres of torque. Um 560 kilometers of range they're claiming out of out of the charge yeah so you know it it, and it'll have all the features because in order to to spend them to invest the money in that kind of uh technology you have to throw the fruit in as well to justify what you're going to have to charge which which by which by default means that that an ev mostly is going to be an expensive vehicle yeah
0: what do you think about clean trucks in general do you think they're the next big thing is there is there a lot of interest
1: yeah, for sure. I, you know, I you know, I actually think uh for, for for urban use, I cannot I I personally I cannot see a reason why things like uh uh garbage trucks and delivery vans mm-hmm. and all, all of them should be electric because they're all yeah. going back to a base every night. It's not a vehicle you take home and and then you take your kids to the footy on the weekends and do your shopping with. It mm-hmm. it lives at the depot. Our buses, you know, I can't see a reason why all of these vehicles can't be electric. And the the, the great benefit of electricity is the torque, which is what yeah. these things rely on. So, yeah, I, if we're going to switch to a zero zero emission society, I think the first thing we do is all the commercial vehicles that live in depots convert switch to electricity first. I, I can't see any 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 reason why we couldn't do that. Yeah, um,
0: Let's move on to another story. Alfa Romeo's uh, Bat Cars, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. <laughs> they've just gone under the hammer um, at Sotheby's um, and they sold for 14.8 million. In fact, I think we've got a little uh, a little clip of it. Let's have a listen to this.
3: We often hear the term cars as art and it's it's an overused expression. However, in this one specific case, I can't think of anything more accurate. They really do sort of exude a sculptural elegance to them that was executed by one individual, Franco Scaglioni, and they remain today as testament to what one man can do uh, and what one man's creative ingenuity can produce.
0: Yeah, so this is three cars. They were designed um, by Franco between 1953 and I think the last one, 1955. Um, and now they've been sold um, as a trio. Um, but they didn't actually you know, get as much under the hammer as they were expected. The estimate was between 14 and 20. They went for $14.8 million still. Uh, t- tell us about these cars. Why, why, are they so des- why are they so desirable? Why didn't they go for as much as we expected?
1: Yeah, I guess, firstly, why they didn't go is just the market we're in, I guess, and also being an Italian car sold in the United States. You know, if it was a, a Chevrolet or if it was, a, you know, even a Bugatti or something, it would probably would have fetched higher money. But Alfa Romeo has never been a, a huge brand in the US. But fourteen point eight million is, yeah. I mean, it's for three cars. They're incredibly significant cars. Uh, Bat. They're called Bat because they stand for, Bellonetta Aerodinamica Technica, which which is basically Italian for for technical aerodynamics uh, bodywork. Yeah. Um. And and they were the precursor to what we know now as aerodynamics. Mm. These were the cars that really introduced aerodynamics to to design work through through the Bertone design Studios. So incredibly significant cars. Yeah. Um, they they went they were split up and went missing. Mm. Um, so there's so there's a bit of a you know there's there's a lot of myths and a lot of stories about. It. And it wasn't until the late '80s that they were discovered again. And uh, um, a, a young guy in America actually found one on the car lot. This is in 1960 mm. and just bought it for, he borrowed money from from his mum and bought it for $2,500, drove it every day, wow. didn't think anything about it. He just thought it was a cool looking car and he was selling, literally selling drinks on a, on a, on a drink stand somewhere yeah. when a guy said, oh, I know I know about this car, realized what he had um, and I think he, he sold it in the, in the early 90s for, for $2.5 million and that was the first time then that the three cars had been together since the day they left the, the studio. So and, that, and,
0: and, and they've, then, they've had such an incredible journey. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through the entire thing because we're running up yeah. a, um, a, against the clock. Uh, thank you so much, Damien, for for joining us. We're going to put pictures of those up on our on our social media uh, on our Facebook page so people can check them out because they really are just absolutely um, stunning designs. Damien, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you can uh, join us uh, next time on Motor Mania with some uh, more motoring news. Really appreciate you Always coming pleasure. On the program thanks Ed.
4: there's more to come on motor mania with ray addison
0: on dubai
1: i 103.8
0: yeah that's right you're listening to motor mania with me ray addison we are on until noon the brand new show here on dubai i 103.8 question for you have you ever had to sell your car to pay the bills former top gear star and current grand tour host richard hammond has revealed that he was once forced to sell his beloved 1998 ferrari 550 marinello to make ends meet when a landlord demanded six months of rent from him now he was recently reunited with the car by drive tribe that's the motoring platform which was founded by jeremy clarkson Hammond and James May from the Grand Tour. And in a YouTube video, Drive Tribe's Mike Fernie travelled across the UAE to fetch the Ferrari. And here's the moment that Richard was reunited with the car.
5: I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I
6: think
5: it's quite nice seeing it it's, oh, it's been so long I still regret it
6: Richard, Harry while well, I've got you in the moment what's uh, the first memory that hits you when oh, you look at this car
5: I got, sadly I can't help it it's the day I had to get rid of it that, that feeling when you walk back to it and go yeah. is that really mine yeah, it was there's that. a big car for that Yeah. The other, the other big moment though and this is part of its eventual demise with me was we were at the workshop of a guy who used to do a lot of work for us on it was then Top Gear and I'd driven there in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just parked my Ferrari. Ka-dunk. Oh, yeah. And I was shouting to him, uh, have you seen underneath? What? And there was a tiny drip. It's a V12 Ferrari engine. <laughs> and I just looked at that and thought, well, that piece of oil about as big as your thumbnail could signify my utter ruination. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so it, it's, what I've got is a roller coaster of emotions with that one. It's high yeah, intensity. Really. So he obviously, you can hear there, he, he absolutely
0: loved that car. He was gutted to have to, to get rid of it. But these are the events that actually
5: led him to have to sell it. We were living where we live now, long way from London. I was working, Top Gear, base in London, to and from, to and from. It was just killing me. So we gave up on the rented house. We rented another house closer to London in Penn, Buckinghamshire. We pulled up outside the house that we'd rented and we'd got my girls into another school. They'd said yeah. goodbye to their school. It was the end of the summer term. We moved in. On the Saturday, three removal vans. And on the Sunday morning, I'd been talking to the girls and I'd looked at them in this new context. And I, I, weirdly, I'd gone out to walk the dogs that night and I always wore like a big sort of leathery cowboy hat with a torch on where I lived so you could see. <laughs> and I, stu- I, su- I suddenly felt silly. This doesn't work for us. We don't fit here. So the following morning, the removal guys came to empty the last few bits and I said put it all back on no so they put it all back no. on the truck <laughs> and moved us, i got the other uh, house we'd been renting he'd let us have that one again yeah. but the guy i'd rented the house from in pen held me to six months rent which amounted to what this was worth and i was f- i'm i mean i'm not flat broke i had a ferrari but <laughs> no. i had no income to cover it so i had no choice it had to go i had okay, to sell yeah. it to pay the rent on a house i wasn't living in so i gave it away effectively
0: now, this I think this is actually something that is a fairly common thing. For many people, your car will be one of the most expensive assets that you own. And yet, when something unexpected happens, if you aren't lucky enough to have um, sufficient savings... It's. It could be the first thing that you have to get rid of. You can't get rid of your house. Obviously, you need a roof over your head. And yet, if you've got a car, that could be the thing that you liquidate in order to get that capital to pay off the debt. So we're asking you, have you ever had to sell your car to pay off a debt? What was it for? How much did you owe? And how do you feel about it now? Was it, was it the right decision? I mean, obviously it helped you at the time, but do you regret it? Would you like to be reunited with that car? Joining me on the line now is a car fanatic. Matteo is from Dubai. He's absolutely crazy about cars. He's been following uh, this story. Matteo, good morning. How are you doing, sir?
3: I'm doing exquisitely good. How are oh, you? Doing? Exquisite, very
0: yes. I'm also <laughs> exquisite. Thank you very much for joining me. How do you how do you feel uh, about this story with regards to Richard Hammond? Do you feel his pain?
3: well oh, trust me, I do. Well, since he since my childhood, the 550 Maranello has been one of my favorite all, of all time Ferraris, mm. and I do think that he did a mistake as this car. <laughs> the, the driving experience of this car, I'm pretty sure, is this unbelievable and there's nothing else compared out there yes
0: why why is it so special then what what put it into words for us describe
3: this car well well see look first of all the car is a front engine 5.5 liter v12 Mm. okay and it's uh it's uh, of course naturally aspirated it has 486 horsepower and 568 meters of torque today compared to the new ferraris which are absolutely amazing as well it it doesn't have the same feeling it doesn't have the same experience it doesn't drive the same it doesn't sound the same and i i believe that this ferrari is just it's it's a one of a kind to be honest mm. that that's that's why it's the biggest mistake
0: <laughs> well you say it was a mistake so the, the, when uh, richard uh was reunited with this car it was actually the day before the car was being auctioned and he had yep. the opportunity to buy the car back now uh our sources say that he actually decided not to do that um so i guess you know he's sort of reconciled himself with it and at the same time he also had six six cars which he could have sold and he chose to, to sell that one he's surprised that he kind of went for went for that particular decision
3: well um i believe that probably back in the day this was probably his more his most expensive car mm. so yeah. I mean, he just had to take a decision and you know when you have a family you take any risk you don't you don't really double think about it so um i think that he could have probably sold a couple of other cars but he was probably scared of the cost that the ferrari could bring him and so he just took the decision i guess
0: yeah lose one instead of losing two or three to the value of it makes sense Uh, matty I i hope you don't mind if i if i let the listeners know you're just 17 and yet you are very knowledgeable about cars how where did you get where did you get all of this knowledge and experience from
3: well, okay, um see, so since I was a toddler, my father back in Europe, we had a 993 Targa
2: mm-hmm. and
3: um uh, he just put me in the back seat of that car and <laughs> I believe that since the day he put like the day he put me in that car, just the sound of the engine just made something and then since that, since that day I've just basically been absolutely um like amazed by cars and just in love and i've always been supported by my father mm. my family my friends and my girlfriend like the whole time all like yeah you love cars you should keep doing that and it's it's just been my passion since then and uh, when it comes to mechanics and all of that like i've always learned by myself no one taught me anything mm. i don't know i've just self-learned it's pretty incredible Absolutely. and yeah and
0: but yeah, but you, you you now obviously you're too young to drive in this country. But you do own a, f- a couple of cars in France, and you drive there.
3: Yes, well, it's it's my family's cars, mm. and uh, it's family owned. We've had a lot of cars in the years sold, kept, sold. Um, in Europe, we have a 1961 Jaguar Roadster E Type, mm-hmm. and a 1971 Porsche Targa. So pretty pretty nice cars, um, very enjoyable. Well, hopefully, I do miss them.
0: <laughs> hopefully, yeah, I'm sure. And hopefully, you wouldn't have to sell any of them. Is it? Wh- where are you going to take this passion? Are you hoping to to work in the motor industry when you're a bit older?
3: Well, see, I've been uh, doing karting since a very young age, yep. and I've been doing endurance championships and racing for it's been probably ten years now. I, my dream was always to become like an F1 driver or professional driver. Unfortunately, with the financial situations and that racing has today, it's not like before. Mm. It kind of restrained that possibility for me so now i'm just doing business i've been doing business since i'm seven years old so i'm i'm pretty sure i'm going to keep in that that direction
0: wow yeah i can i can hear the passion we we wish you very well thanks so much for joining us uh, on the program this morning Mateo. we really appreciate that of
3: my, my pleasure pro-
6: all good under the hood
0: and we're joined, I'm just hearing that for the first time, I'd rather like it. Uh, we're joined this morning by Tom O'Gorman, uh, and he's been living in the UAE for 17 years. And I hope you don't mind, Tom, if I describe you as a serial classic car owner. So,
4: <laughs> yes, indeed. It's a bad disease. It's pretty <laughs> and there's accurate. no cure for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. Let's, right, but let's not get into anything else. Let's just take us through the list of, of, of classic cars that you have owned over the years.
4: Well, I guess, uh, you know, when I was younger, I always had a passion for cars. Mm. Um, And I remember when my parents had cars and the money that they used to spend, on them could buy two old minis or an old rusty MG or something like that. I said, yeah. Mom, why don't you get something like this? Or, you know, for the same price that you're buying a Ford Fiesta, you can, you know, get uh, an old Triumph or something. Yeah. And it just made absolutely no sense. Or, <laughs> you know, high heavens, you know, my father looked at me as if I had two heads. <laughs> you know, so, uh, But it never, at a very early age, I always loved cars. I thought they were just a great style and they were just, came from a different era, you know. I mean, they're basically, when you sit into a classic car, it's like sitting into a a time capsule. Mm. And uh, each decade of car design has its own idiosyncrasies and its own styling cues as well, too, which um, transcend throughout the years, Mm. back in the 60s, 50s, 60s. The Americans were pumping out cars uh, every year, whilst today now your Mercedes and your BMWs and that, they may have about a four-year lifespan, Mm
2: -hmm.
4: five-year lifespan where you have the same model and it looks the same on the road. Uh, Back then, you know, Detroit was just pumping out Ford and uh, General Motors uh, and Pontiac and all of these guys we're throwing them out every year. So the designers were on their drawing boards coming up with new neat designs and it was very much keeping up with the Joneses. Mm. Um, So that kind of styling I used to see through uh, when I was a kid growing up, cars that would pass you on the road like an old... Jaguar or something like that, my draw would my, would just drop, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I just was not unwell from a very early age, uh, Ray, you know.
0: <laughs> well, listen, let's, we're going to talk about your Cadillac uh, Coup de Ville in, in a moment. That's your 1960, yeah. but um, I, I noticed in, we've got a list here, one, two, three, four, five, we've got like eight, eight cars you, you've previously owned over the years, but three of them really stand out, not, all from the year 1967, a Chevrolet Impala, a Ford Thunderbird, and a Mercedes 200, uh, Fintai, what is it about that year, or is that just a weird coincidence?
4: The '60s is actually my favourite decade mm. for cars. I just thought uh, it was a time uh, in the world where there was a lot of change going on. Uh, for years, cars had looked kind of the same, you know, from the the '30s and '40s, and from about the '50s onwards, the late '50s and '60s, there was just a really kind of a cool styling. The dress dress style was great. Um, You know, people, the the days of the go-go boots and mini skirt and guys with suede, (laughs) Chelsea boots, you know, it was uh, just a fantastic era. And I always was attracted to uh, the interiors of the cars, you know, so you had that tri-spoke steering wheel, the leather seats, the walnut dashboard, they were all just things that, you know, would give you a thrill. Now, half the time these things broke down or, uh, you know, overheated or things like that, but you bit your bottom lip and you didn't care and yes. you you know um I, I, you I, I, up with
0: it without giving away your age too much were you, were you a teen in the 60s is this what you were sort of were you seeing these cars and, and and wishing that you you could own them one day no
4: i was uh i was kind of brought up in the, the 80s i guess right. um and so when i used to look at these 60s cars they were already 20 years old to me so I think anything that's before your date of birth is a classic car. Yeah. Nowadays, I look back at cars in their eighties. Uh, in the eighties, which because the rule of thumb with classics is if they're over thirty years old, they're deemed a classic car. So mm-hmm. you're hence your um, you can get classic insurance. Uh, your road tax in the UK, I know anyway, is it's about a hundred pounds or something like that. So that's the bracket. Are you twenty years or thirty years? Um, from the present date. Yeah. So already you know, those whole cars were, were classics, you know, when I was um, running around in short pants. <laughs>
0: well, let's talk about the, the, the Cadillac, the Coup de Ville from 1960. Uh, yeah. W- what is it about that car that, that you love so much?
4: Well, I guess, what, uh, maybe if I describe, just do a bit of history mm. of the car, or, uh, well, look, the Cadillac Coupe de Ville, the 1960. It was designed probably in the latter part of the 1950s. Now, America was absolutely bonkers about space and space exploration. And the USSR were in the middle of a space. The Soviet Union had just launched uh, the Sputnik satellite um, (laughs) and... The Americans then, of course, got Explorer 1, and the race was on then, you know, for the space race. So all over America, kids had ray guns, you know, they had space helmets. The insides and uh, interiors of houses were all done space uh, style and that. And it, it went on. The next obvious one was uh, jets and things. So the 1960 has the incredible uh, wings, fin tails, yeah. that, that it's very famous for, I suppose, some of the iconic things that you think of Americana is blue jeans, cheeseburgers, Elvis Presley, and that Cadillac Coupe deville with the big grill and the big wings
0: it 's like driving so, an episode of Star Trek or something It, it looks it, like it looks absolutely like
4: right. yeah it, yeah right, absolutely, and when you 're inside it 's got the bench seats, and all the, um, the the dash is all kind of futuristic as well. Mm. So it was, it just feels, and it's, it's absolutely massive as well. It's like driving around in your living room, of course, you know. Mm. But the ride is so comfortable. Um, it's just a piece of Americana that they don't build them like they used to in those days. Um, you know, it, when they went into the 60s, they got a bit more sleek in kind of the days of Mad Men and Don Draper and that uh, that TV program that that yeah. on. They got very much kind of more um, refined. But it was absolutely mad in the... In the fifties, so it's 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 a fun car. Uh, It's something that I'd always seen it, and I I actually swapped. I had an old Dodge Charger in nineteen seventy four. It's the same one that was pretty similar to the one that was in the Fast and the Furious that the Vin Diesel character Dominic Toretto drives. So, uh, young guys out here, um, locals, absolutely love muscle cars and Mm. that. And um, I I met a guy uh, who said, you know, I like your car. I've got this one. Um, You know, do do you want to swap it? Mm. And we swapped a little bit of money as well, you know, to, to top it off. But... The thing with cars, you'll have them for about 10 years, you know, five years, and then you just see something else, and the fever yeah. just gets worse, you
0: know. Absolutely. People react to this car a lot, don't they? People want to take pictures of it. It's, it's, a, it's a car that you can enjoy as an owner, but also people that you come across day to day, they they want to get involved.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll always remember I was um, – I pulled into an Echo or an Emirat or something, and I went in to get – um, some petrol or something and I came out and there was a, a whole family inside in the car taking pictures you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said crazy. hi
4: guys how are you and it's it, just fascination some people would never have seen these um, in the flesh you know and mm. it's a shame to have them in warehouses and that and yeah Watching the, the faces of people enjoy them, you know, a whole family, you know, maybe they came into Dubai on holidays and this was one of the high points of their trip. And
0: you wouldn't and necessarily they- expect to see a, a car from the 90s. I mean, we, when we were uh, chatting, <clears throat> chatting offline, um, I know you were saying to the team that, you know, this car is, is, is essentially um, it's 60 years old now. And it's, it's like half the amount of time that, you know, the world has been producing cars. It's, it's actually a moment in history.
4: You're absolutely right. So cars are before the days of the horse and cart. Cars have been around for maybe 100, 120 years. Mm. So 1960 would have been exactly half the production time or the length that they've been on the planet for all of us. So the Cadillac Coupe de Ville had many firsts in a way. It it had power steering, it had power brakes for the first time, it had cruise control. Nobody had ever heard about what, Mm. you know, take your foot off the accelerator pedal, it was madness. It was a bit like autonomous cars today. There was a big trust factor that had to go into it, you know. And mm. um, there were ver- lots of the co- uh, styling cues were the first. And haven't changed that much since then. That was kind of a iconic period where a lot of these things were put in place of the cars nowadays. Yeah. I mean, of course, now we've got the electric cars and there's big steps from now. But for, you know... 60 years, there wasn't much, uh, well, 50 Absolutely. years, there wasn't much change, you know. Tom,
0: so. I'm going to have to let you go, but I, I can't let you go without asking, If, if, if to, talking about our talker of today, which is the issue of, of, of having to sell a car in order to uh, oh, pay yeah. off a debt. Is, <laughs> is this something that's affected you in the past?
4: Yes, it has. Uh, when I was having my first little girl and we were, I mean, you know, young family, when mm-hmm. you're starting out first, you have to buy uh Cuts and bits and pieces for the house, you know, and you're moving into a new apartment and you, you, you want to have some money in your pocket. So, uh, and I think the insurance policy that we had for my wife didn't cover epidural injections. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. We definitely had to, um, yeah, we had to raise some money pretty quickly. So I sold uh, an old XJ6 Jaguar and a beautiful 1986 Alfa Romeo Spider. Oh, wow. And with that, we got furniture and bits and pieces. But, you know, every time I see uh, the spider on the road, a different colour or anything like that, you kind of, you feel you know, it. you're feel a it's bit quiet still- for an hour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tom, uh, thank you so much for joining. Could have to leave it there, but we really appreciate you yeah. uh, coming on the programme this morning. And uh, have, a, have a great day, uh, whatever you end up doing. <laughs>
1: This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. There's
0: more coming up on Dubai i 103.8. Shireen Shabnam, she's the editor-in-chief and jury of the Middle East Car of the Year and the Women's World Car of the Year. So basically, Shireen, you drive cars for a living. That's a pretty
2: amazing <laughs> job.
7: How do you go about getting a job like that? <laughs> well, it started about 18 years ago. I was... Um, the editor of the millionaire magazine i still am mm. and our patron is sheikh hamad bin nahyan who is one of the biggest collectors in the uae and uh knowing that somebody who's an expert in cards who's reading all my articles he had a certain level of expectation so um naturally i had to make sure that you know everything that i wrote met his expectations but also, because I started driving when I was barely a baby. My father used <laughs> to hold me in his arms because I come from Fiji. So we had private roads um, on the island, yes. you know, going up to our house. So it mm-hmm. was just us who would be driving there.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: And Excuses, uh, so, excuses. Naughty, oh, naughty. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that's when I really, you know, I, I was basically holding the wheel before I could even walk. Wow. Wow. And that's how it started. And, and when I was 10 years old, I remember from then I started messing with car parts with my dad. Mm. He used to open cars up on weekends, put them together again. And that was one of his biggest passions. It's, it's
0: amazing when um, your parent can, can pass that passion onto you, isn't it? It's, you know, it, it's infectious. Yeah, just the, and, and, it's, and it's not so much about the thing that you're doing, but it's about the time that you're spending with them as well. It's important to them. It becomes important to you.
7: Absolutely. And I'm a lot closer to him. And, uh, you know, it's something that he's very proud of. Mm-hmm. I don't think he, I think that's one of the things he's most proud of. Yeah, of, yeah. Of all my
0: achievements. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, listen, um, you're, you're, you're on today. I mean, f- we want to talk to you about a bunch of different things. But one, one of the yeah. main things you want to find out is you love taking road trips, both in the UAE and in the UK as well. What's one of your favourite road trips? If somebody's never done one, where should they be going this weekend?
7: Okay, so in the UAE, it, one of my favorite routes is from uh, here from Dubai to Fujairah or Korfu Khan mm. because it's got a lot of stops in between um, for me as, as somebody who tests cars. Uh, it gives me great opportunities for photo shoots, especially when I have a bright car against the uh, mountain backdrops. Yes. I see one of my favorite spots is taking a car and then... Um, positioning it when uh, with Snoopy Island in the background. Mm.
2: That's
7: absolute. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had an Audi, which was a deep blue color. Mm-hmm. And having the brown mountains, Snoopy Island, the color of the sea, a little bit of greenery on the beach, uh, the, the photo was absolutely stunning. But I also liked the fact that there are a lot of quaint stops on the way. Yes. So you can stop in these little shops, um markets you get the best fresh fruits and vegetables and you know and and these places can surprise you i was taking my daughter diving to Khan mm-hmm. and halfway we realized that her gopro didn't have a battery Uh-oh. and she was like Totally giving up. She's like, oh, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to take any underwater photos. And these shops look almost half dead, you know. (laughs) And then I said, let's just try it. We stopped on one of the supermarkets, went in, and the guy said, oh, yeah, we can sort you out. And we can sort you out with a selfie and everything, like the whole kit.
0: That's it. You can and, be so uh, surprised, and that's that's one of the amazing things about taking a road trip. You the the you know the stops that you can take and the things that that you, you discover. Find. And I'm sure you're probably passing yeah. passing that love on to your daughter as well. Does does she enjoy these trips?
7: Oh, absolutely. So she drives the uh, uh, Audi TT mm. with her top down. Mm-hmm. And uh, now she's sta- she's studying to be a forensic scientist in the wow. UK. So I have access to her car, which means that good <laughs> <with the> weather.
0: <laughs> you make it sound like you're not supposed to, but you do have access to it. But she's just not aware of it, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure she's she not is.
7: Aware of it. Like last night, the temperature was so fantastic. I took her car with the top down to Palm Jumeirah, yeah. and it was. Absolutely divine.
0: Fantastic. Uh,
8: Really,
0: really nice. uh, Do you know what? The running theme throughout this show is we unfortunately don't have long enough to talk to each guest. But before I let you go, uh, (laughs) I wanted to talk to you about the Spotify list of the best road trip songs out there. Uh, It's been put together by top female motoring journos around the world, which, of course, you are one. Um, Let's just have a quick uh, run through of these tracks. First one is uh, in number three is Fun, Fun, Fun.
4: See she forgot yeah. all about the library like she told her old man now. And with the radio blast and go cruising just as fast as she can now.
2: And she'll have fun fun.
0: fun. So these that's the Beach Boys, I think. Uh yep. in number yep. two we've got Pink Cadillac. Yep. Uh- And number one, uh, one of my favorites, Mustang Sally.
2: Mustang Sally, my Yes, you slow the Mustang
0: down. So, are those three on your playlist when you're on your road trip, Shireen?
2: Uh, yes, uh,
7: we actually have a very long playlist, but this is definitely the top three.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And I know your absolute favourite is uh, Hit the Road Jack by, by Ray Ray Charles. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to that one later. Sorry we don't have longer to talk to you, uh, but we really appreciate you coming on the programme.
2: This is Motor Mania with
4: Ray Addison.
0: More coming up next on Dubai Eye 103.8. How far would you go to track down a car if you thought it might have historical significance, Mohammed Lukman Ali Khan is a UAE based motoring researcher who spent many months and travelled thousands of kilometres to track down a classic car after he spotted a picture of it in the UAE National Archives. And he joins me now. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining me. Let's start uh, at the beginning. What is a motoring researcher?
9: Morning, Ray, firstly, thanks for having me. And Pleasure. Uh, congratulations on starting what uh, appears to be a very promising series. Thank and you. And what better, what better a car to start off with absolutely. than uh, the national motor car.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, the, the Rolls-Royce. So what, what, what is the role of a, of a motoring researcher? I know this isn't your day-to-day living, you're, you're in banking, but, but yes. this is your passion.
9: Yes, I do it out of passion. And uh, the job of a motoring researcher is to research historic uh, and exceptional motor cars. Uh, what he does is he, he's on a lookout for automotive gems, as, as they call it, mm-hmm. and he studies uh, the, uh, the the archives and uh, the manufacturer records, and uh, you know, like any other research, uh, what he, he's fully immersed into into the subject. Yeah. And in this case, it is motoring. Yeah.
0: Um, and for you, uh, you began um, an incredible journey when you were in the U.A. National Archives and you were leafing through a book. Tell us what happened.
9: Yes, I was at the National Archives uh, one day. I was researching for uh, one of my first books that is still uh, in research.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It's
9: called Automobiles of Sheikh Zayed. Mm -hmm. So it was the year of Zayed, 2018, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was going through the records there, and I found a photograph, an Eastman color photograph of the 1960s. Uh, This is in a book called Memoirs of the Emirates. Uh, the book is published by uh, National Archives. Mm-hmm. So it is in that book that I found a photo uh, of of uh, a Rolls Royce Phantom Phantom Five I could identify, and uh, this was being all uh, uh, unloaded on an Arabian shore. So uh, what triggered my interest was to, uh, it was a right-hand drive car. Yep. And yeah, that 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 picture that triggered my research and the, uh, the subsequent discovery of this motor car
0: yes this was like a, a, a an alert going off you an alarm as a as a motoring historian you you see this amazing picture of a car seemingly sort of out slightly out of place it's being unloaded onto the shores of the uae and at the bottom in the caption it just says um the ruler's car being unloaded so where did that take you where what was the where was the journey going next
9: well, uh, immediately after seeing the photograph, uh, 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 as, as you saw the caption down there, it doesn't say in you know, a ruler of which emirate, it, you understand? Mm, yes. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that started my uh, research and I... I you know, went around looking for records, uh, researching the Rolls-Royce archives uh, in, in, in Hunt House in England. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in fact, I contacted a, a lot of experts around the world who did to help me and gave me some important clues.
0: So how, do, how does that Which work you- these days in terms of research? I, I'm sure uh, back in the day, a lot, a lot of legwork was involved. Is there still a lot of legwork or is everything available online now for researchers like yourself?
9: Well, uh, sadly, not much, although Internet does help. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at least it, it connects you from uh, with experts, you know, sitting around the world. But in terms of research, you need to do you know, the donkey work as they call it to yourself. Yes. And, you know, you pull out all the files, look into records. And that's what we do. But, Boots uh, on the ground. Is, uh, yeah, exactly. Boots on the ground. Sort of, for it.
0: So at what point did you realize um, during your research that the car was uh, once owned by the late Sheikh Zayed, the founding father of the UAE?
9: Well, I researched about the chassis number, the body number, and the engine number of the car. And uh, it was listed in, the, as they call it, the, the Bible of Rolls-Royce motorcars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of experts who have written a lot of books uh, on, on Rolls-Royce motor cars, especially about the Phantom Range. And this appears in about four or five of the most important uh, books, and it is listed under the name of Sheikh Zayed. Mm-hmm. And then, then I looked into records myself personally. Uh, I could tell you the chassis number engine number and then when I uh, went about looking for it and uh, yeah that's where the whole story started. Yeah.
0: So you ended up having to go to um Austria if I, if I'm correct in order to actually track this car down you found it.
9: That's right. I had to fly into to uh, to Vienna. And, in fact, this is outside Vienna, just at, you know, in the suburbs. And, uh, yeah, there it was parked. And uh, when I found out about the owner who had the car in, in Austria, before that it was in in France. Prior to that it was in England. It spent time in Holland as, as well, Rotterdam to be precise. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's been all, all around Europe. And, uh, yeah, eventually I got to, got to the car, uh, which was in, in Vienna. I flew down, saw the car, inspected it myself, and, uh, you know, tallied the, the, the numbers. It was when I found it's a matching number car, and it was this particular car. Yeah, and that's just the moment, as they say, the Holy Grail.
0: <laughs> yes. That, and, that, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. It, it is that it's that Holy Grail moment. You, it must have been an incredible moment when you sort of finally saw it. What did it feel like for you?
9: Well, uh, indescribable is <laughs> the only word that can describe that mm. feeling. Uh, it's, a, it's a feeling of joy and elation you can imagine. And after all the work, it's been my muse for over a year by then. So, <laughs> having yeah. spent time researching it, it was finally there. I mean, I could see it in f- flesh and flesh and blood, as they say. So, <laughs> absolutely uh, to, to be able to drive to be able to drive it, and at uh, the, the moment it was really
10: surreal.
0: And it must have been important as well, because I know during your research you found out that this car had actually been used in the UAE in, in a number of history historically significant moments for the country. Tell us about those.
9: Oh, yes, indeed. I mean, this particular phantom is hugely significant for Abu Dhabi and in UA, uh, for the UAE in general. I mean, it is the most important motor car historically. Uh, that's because it was the first official state motor car, which was delivered new in 1966, after the London Motor Show of 1965, to the ruler of Abu Dhabi. Then it was Hazan Sheikh Sheikh Booth. Mm -hmm. So it was delivered in January 1966 to Sheikh Sheikh Booth, who used it for about six months. And he was succeeded by his highness Sheikh Zayed, who used it for a very long time. And there's a great deal of uh, uh, pictorial evidence uh, that shows that the car was used in very important state Mm -hmm. occasions. It transported a lot of important dignitaries from around the world. It was present at the 1968 Conference of the Nine Emirates. Wow. which included which included Bahrain and Qatar at the time, if you know. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so uh, there are important photographs that show the car parked right outside the Almatyf, guarded by AK-47 holding gunmen.
5: But, well, sec- yeah, the- <laughs> security, absolutely.
0: Uh, tell us about, so obviously you found the car now. You had to convince yeah. the owner to, to to part with it, which you eventually did. I'm sure that was quite a difficult conversation as well. But where did the, where does the car, where is it now? And, and what sort of repair work have you had to do with it?
9: Well, the car since acquired has been serviced, and there are a few missing parts here and there, which have since been acquired, mm-hmm. uh, like the flag poles, you know, which were missing, and uh, it, it has had uh, uh, it, it now currently has uh, a different shade. It is in it's in fiat red, as they call it. Yes, and uh, originally it was in Valentine black and its upholstery has been changed to red. It was originally a beige. So the, these changes will need to be reverted back to. But, uh, uh, I mean, to just when we were thinking of uh, embarking on a comprehensive restoration plan, Uh, to have a nut and bowl restoration as they say yes Uh, the pandemic set in so (laughs) that's what all the plans it stalled all the plans but uh yes i mean that that's 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 the direction we're heading into the owner uh is in uk the car is based in uk Mm -hmm. and the owner continues to have the car curated by me
2: yes
9: and uh he has tasked me with the restoration of the car
0: have you been lucky enough to, to to drive in the car or ride in it how does how does it perform these days
9: Uh, It does uh, drive very well. In fact, that very day, I remember the date was uh, February 19, uh, 2019, uh, that's when I figured out to Vienna. So it was on that day that I drove the car, test drove it, you know, uh, mm. when I uh, first found, uh, d- uh, found it with the owner there. And uh, it drives well. Uh, it tends to always, you know, that's the feeling one gets <laughs> at the wheel. Yep. But, uh, you know, that's how smooth it is. So, yeah, it drives well, though. Yeah.
0: And I know, obviously, you know, this has been your passion for the last couple of years and, and you've got plans for this car. You, you, you believe that it actually should, should eventually come back to the UAE?
9: Oh, yes, I would love to see the Phantom return to UAE permanently, because this is where it belongs. It's a little bit new here, and it's a national motor car, like I said. I mean, I've, I've given it the name of Qasr al of motorcars. You know, as the most famous yeah. motor car. So, yeah, I, I mean, it would be great to see it exhibited at one of the museums here, like the Zayed National Museum or the Al-Etihad Museum, or perhaps at Qasr al-Husun, you know, the presidential palace, because that's where it belongs. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I would love to see it come back, yeah.
0: So what, what? Okay, so the the pandemic has, has caused a little bit of delay in terms of, of, of that part of your vision. W- what are you working on at the moment? Is there is that next? There's always a next car at the rainbow, I'm sure, for a motoring researcher. What are you trying to find right now?
9: Well, for me, uh, there's one very important motor car, which I would love to find, but uh, clearly this is proving to be quite a Herculean task. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the uh, the Chrysler New Yorker, uh, which was used by Sheikh Zayed himself. Mm-hmm. So you see his is driving that car uh, in one of the documentaries. You must have seen that, Farewell, Arabia. Fare- yes. For the documentary, yes. Yeah. So he's seen in that very car. And uh, so, yeah, the hunters on to find <laughs> that car, and I would love to bring it back, because that's... that's uh, one car which is there in, in a lot of photographs and uh, yeah, uh, but, but that's a personal car like I said to him uh, but in this case this is a national motor car which belonged to the ruler of Abu Dhabi, whoever the ruler was so it yes. was meant for him
0: Well it's, it's been an amazing journey and, and such a fascinating story, you have to keep us up to date um, if you ever uh, do manage to, to bring it back over to the UAE and we wish you uh, luck with all your future searches Mohamed Lukman Ali Khan, thank you so much for joining us on the programme this morning
8: Fix It or flip it.
0: You lucky people, this is your opportunity to tell us what's wrong with your car or if you're thinking of selling it. And we're going to tell you, we're going to give you top advice on whether to fix it or flip it. DuBizzle's car expert, Matthew Davidson, is going to tell you how much he thinks you could get for it. He's an all round car expert. He can provide car valuations on the spot. This is the information we need. We need the make, the model, the year, the color what needs fixing, the mileage and other details. The more information you give us, the more information Matthew has to give you some free expert advice. Matthew joins me now on the phone. Great to have you here, Matthew. What, what do you need to, to give them your expert opinion?
6: Yeah, I think, first of all, good morning and congrats on the new show. We Thanks, love sir. anything motoring in the UAE. We do. Um, Yeah, so in terms of information, we need the make, model, that's obviously critical, but also kilometers, because we need to know how much this car's been used. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the trim level. So, for example, if it was a Nissan Patrol, is it the SE, is it the LE? Um, that they're the most critical parts of, of information to price the car.
0: Do you remember a, uh, a Saturday uh, football show in which there was a gentleman called Stato and he was an expert on all things football? You are the Stato of the motoring world, are you not, <laughs> sir?
6: That's very <laughs> yeah, but I do. Let's, let's just say I, I, live for, I live for cars and I live for motoring. Let's
0: kick things off. Here's a question that we had in a little bit earlier from Jesse.
7: I drive a 2015 white Nissan Juke. So it's a white Nissan Juke. It's been driven for the past um, 90,000 kilometers. Uh, there are some weird sounds getting out of the car. I'm not really sure what's wrong with it but I think I'm, I'm just tired driving it. So I think I'm going to get a new one. I think I can get around 30K. So uh, I'm considering flipping it. So what do you think?
0: Okay, so you heard that, Jessie. Uh, it's a white Nissan Duke, 90,000 kilometers, making some weird noises. And she sounds like she's mentally, she's already departed from this car. <laughs> she's saying goodbye to this car. What do you
8: think? Fix or flip?
6: Yeah, I think, I mean, it would be useful to know where the noise is coming from. I mean, are the engine noises, are the suspension noises? Um, on a car of 90,000 kilometers, it could well be uh, suspension-related, so you yeah. could have some bushes worn, um, which is a, is a classic, um, which makes people think there's stuff that's much more serious wrong with a car. But, I mean, look, the first thing I would do is, uh, I would go to any, any reputable garage and just ask them to have a look over the car. Nine times out of 10, they'll do this for free because they obviously want to try and get some business. Um, that will give you an idea of how serious the problems are. If it's something minor like suspension bushes, mm-hmm. it may be worth um, keeping hold of that car and driving it because a 2015 Nissan Duke. Um, it's a good car. It's, you know, 1.6 engine. Uh, it's it's ideal for running around Dubai. But if you were to sell, and based on the fact those uh, problems weren't too serious, I would say probably twenty six to twenty eight thousand would be the price.
0: Twenty six to twenty eight k. Okay. If you want some advice, just like Jesse that. how are you doing? Good morning.
6: I'm good. How are you?
0: Very well. Wonderful to have you on the program. Um, let's let's find out what have you got. What what make a, a model of
8: car. Okay, so hopefully my husband isn't tuned in because I've been, <laughs> I've been telling him to <laughs> scar the scar yeah. um, for a while because although it's in tip-top condition and he's like, oh, crazy, James is. It's like a 1997 Bentley, beautiful blue. It's one of those classics. He looks after it like his baby. Yes. So it's really well looked after and stuff. But, you know, once in a while, things start to go wrong with it, which he kind of gets fixed and stuff. And then I keep telling him, why don't we sell this, you know, to buy this car wasn't meant for, for for driving and stuff it's about 130k on it so mm-hmm. it's not bad the mileage isn't huge um, but it's just you know I keep telling him we need to sell this and he's like no you know I, I can't, I can't, I'll never find a buyer who look after this car and stuff and so it never come, goes down to can we actually get a value on this right. so but it's, do you, do you, it's do you, more out of curiosity than anything else do
0: you think that's an excuse from him or do you think, he, he, do you think maybe he just really doesn't want to let go of the car
8: it's an excuse, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like this <laughs> emotional attachment. So that's why I'm saying he's not tuned in. Fair <laughs> enough. At least I now have some bases to go on. Yes. You know, like a base range that uh, I can say, listen, I know, this kind of, this is what we can.
0: Okay, so can. Bentley, yes, it's a Bentley, it's navy blue. It's a very blue.
8: specific kind of car that only somebody... Specific who likes that kind of older car would want to go right. for. You know, it's not it's not a run of the mill car.
0: Well, there's there's a, there's a car for everybody, is there not? What uh, 1997 right. 130k, uh, Matthew? What what
6: would you say? Well, we I didn't catch what model Bentley it was, um, whether it was a Continental. Brooklyn,
8: or... I think it's called a Brooklyn or something. Brooklyn, Brook something, yeah.
6: Yeah, Brooklyn. okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in terms of, let me tell you what my honest opinion is, because you're always going to get my honest opinion. These cars, you you will spend a fortune every single year maintaining them because as they get older, I I kind of relate them to the Golden Gate Bridge. You start painting at the beginning. By the time you get to the end, you need to start painting again. So it's kind of (laughs) one of those uh, (laughs) those cars you're going to continue to throw money. However, look, if it's a passion, and they are, when you see these cars that are now in excess of 20 years old, old on the road they have presence. i mean they're they're such a special car um but it's just if you've got the appetite to maintain it keep it for sure right but if if you if you haven't if you if you're thinking to yourself look we need to we need to get out of this car then yeah uh you need to sell and you need to sell fast and did you
0: uh, Um, did i I might have missed there matthew do you know how much you think it might go for
6: well ironically one of these these types of cars, particularly the Brooklyns, they're incredibly rare, actually. If you go online, I doubt, I may be wrong, but I doubt you'll find one for sale. So they're, they're kind of the cars yeah. where if somebody's looking for one, you've hit a home run. Um, to an extent, you can, you can charge um, you know, upwards of anything between, and it can be this wide, 200000 to 400000 I mean, it's crazy what you wow. can actually uh, price when someone's looking for that car. Um, so my advice would be to put it, put it online, get onto the Bizzle, make some beautiful photos, put it online at a price that you're comfortable with and see how the market reacts. Because if there is somebody looking for that type of car, you've, you've hit a home run, honestly. But if not, then it's just going to sit there, of course.
8: Yeah. And that's what it is, right? It's a timing thing. It's like somebody you know you put the car on for a week or a couple of weeks and you get no interest or you know somebody offering you 20,000 for it and then you take it off and then it it's a timing thing so i think it's just going to be the right uh, you know, I don't know if Dubizzle is the right website for it or another car, you know, another website that looks more at older cars or classic cars or something like that. So I'm
6: not really sure. What would you well, say look, to that, Matthew? Well, what I would say is you need a mixed approach here. Dubizzle's obviously got an incredible amount of eyeballs and traffic. So you always want it on the site with the most eyeballs. But uh, right. you've got Facebook groups um, mm. for Bentley, which I would put the car on. That costs you nothing. You've got also classic car groups here. There's many classic okay. car groups in the UAE. So I would also get into their Facebook groups as well. So you, okay. you know, this is, a, this is a, an approach coming from many angles. And then see right. how the, the reaction is. But you won't get too many low ball offers on this car because it's not the type of car people want to flip. They don't want to they don't think they can buy it and flip it quickly. Mm. Um, so I don't think you'll get lots of low ball offers. You just might not just get many offers at all. Um,
0: lots of texts coming in. I've got a message here it says, "Hi guys, I've got a Jeep Wrangler Sahara 2002. It's uh, black. There's a problem with the clutch, probably needs replacing, getting a bit stiff. Should I fix or flip?" Matthew
1: well, those older
6: Jeeps actually is the, pretty much the perfect time to, to listen for sale because we're just coming into the cooler weather. And the price point of those are quite attractive to people. But my question would be, you know, have you got a, a winter ahead where you want to be enjoying that car, going into the desert, doing a bit of camping, off-roading, etc.? If that's the case, definitely fix, even if it means putting a new clutch, because the cost to change will, will be uh, greater than the cost to repair. However, if you don't think you're going to utilize what a Jeep's great for in the winter, I would put it online for about 25k. Now, that sounds a lot of money for a 2002, but actually it's the lower-value ones, and uh, that older shape, which is the TJ, Um, They're quite desirable, actually. Mm. So a couple of options depending on what your winter plans are.
0: Yeah, Jeeps do, they're very good at keeping their value, aren't they? I I bought one about uh, eight years ago, um, only drove it for for a year. It was in a bit of a state. I actually ended up selling it for more than I I bought it for. So, you know, is that a sort of a common thing with the Jeep?
6: Especially the older ones. And a lot of it's down to actually just demand. Um, you'll find that if, you, if you're selling a Jeep around this kind of time, September, October, November, um, you'll get good money. And your story is not uncommon. I've met a few people that have held Jeeps for 18 months, two years, and sold pretty much what they paid for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh,
0: 4001 is the text number. Remember to include your name so we know who we're talking to. Uh, Sada joins us on the line. Uh, Sada, what would you like to ask Matthew?
7: Yeah. Uh, good morning, Matthew. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. I just want to ask you, I have my son who was left for his masters, and he left his uh, Audi A3 in the 2016 uh, model. Um, uh, it's around 135,000. And I just wanted he he asked me to see if it's a good price to sell or if it's not a good price. To sell. I have no idea what the price would be for such a car. It's been maintained very well at the Nabuda all the time. So uh, that's my question. Thank you.
6: Well, that's uh, Good morning. Let's look at the positives first of all. Um, full maintenance at the agency uh, and Nabuda, as you say, is Audi's uh, agency here. That's a real yeah. plus. Uh, on a negative side, 135,000 kilometers for a four-year-old car is yeah. above average. And that's going to probably hurt you a little bit. Um, right. But in terms of market price, I would put that online for around 35,000. Um, that, cool. that will then um, be priced on, on what the market Uh, should be quite receptive for. You you want to try and strike a balance between not being too cheap but also not being so overpriced that no one even picks up the phone. Sure, sure. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you
2: very much. Uh, Congratulations for this program.
0: Thank you, Sara appreciate it and it, it sounds, sounds a bit windy where you are as well but i hope you're having a wonderful time maybe maybe he's driving along hands-free with the the wind coming in through the window uh, this is motor mania fix or flip 04871 or message us 4001 matthew davidson from dubizal is here to give you his expert advice um shelton uh, messaged in earlier gave us a call earlier with his question
3: hi guys and ray congratulations on the new show uh, my name is Shelton. I would like to ask you a question in regards to my Ford Focus, a 2013 model. Uh, currently, it's driven around 330,000 kilometers. So I have this concern with my car that when I drive, uh, the, the temperature gauge on the cluster shows me a little above the center mark, and so does my transmission uh, gauge for the cooling. So I'd like to know whether I need to flip it, or fix it
8: what do you say matthew fix or flip
6: yeah i mean you've clearly got a a a coolant issue which is no surprise considering the the type of uh, star trek kilometers you've done there (laughs) um but um yeah i mean that 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 could be radiator um that that could well be radiator issue and with the gearbox i think you're probably just low on oil in that gearbox or the oil needs changing A lot of people that service cars, particularly when they're no longer serviced at the agency, they forget to change gearbox oil. Um, Now, doing typical kilometers, that wouldn't be too bad, but you've done a lot of kilometers. So I imagine the fix could be as simple as as changing the gearbox oil. But look, you have to remember what you're going to get for this car. Um, Maybe 5,000 dirhams, maybe 6. That's what the car's worth. So again, it depends... Is it one of the situations where you could change the gearbox oil, um, you could get a mechanic to look at the cooling issue, see, see if you're low on coolant or you have a radiator leak. Might not be too bad to fix that car, but the cost of, again of selling that car and getting another one, remember just to register a car, whatever cost the car is, at the uh, traffic department you're looking at a thousand dirhams, 170 for the passing test, 830 for registration. So. You're a 1,000 dirhams down just by changing the car. Mm. Um, So, look, take these into consideration, but I would look at those two issues, gearbox oil and uh, see where you've got an issue with the cooling. Maybe uh, low on coolant it could be or a leak from the radiator.
0: Hope that helps you, Shelton. Uh, We've got Robin on the line, Nissan Altima 2007. Robin, what's your question for Matthew? Yeah,
4: so I've just recently changed the gearbox last week. Um, and uh, the the front and rear wheel bearing and uh, I needed to do alignment and I've been informed that the whole front suspension needs to be changed as well. Mm. Seeing that it's a very old vehicle, uh, I wanted to know if it's uh, it's worth uh, repairing this or should we just flip the vehicle.
6: Yeah, I'm. I'm a little disappointed in whoever changed your wheel bearings that they didn't identify what was likely your tracking arms, bushes, the, the faults with the suspension. Um, that's disappointing because you, you you wouldn't have probably done the the wheel bearings if you knew you had that many issues with the suspension. But what are you what are you talking? If it, if it's upper, lower arms, bushes, uh, and arms, you could be spending three, four, even four and a half thousand dirhams. So on, on a car of that age, um, yeah, it's worth considering um, just moving that car on because I think fixing it to sell will not be economical. You'll spend more than what, what you'd get deducted for the fact that it has faults. Um, and, and it seems, you know, it's time to change this car. This is, this is definitely a flip situation rather than a fix.
0: Is that disappointing okay. for you, Robin, or is that what you were expecting to hear?
6: Well, yeah, no, I just wanted to confirm. I, I did have my uh, suspicions. So, yeah. yeah, you've just confirmed it. Thank you very much.
0: Sir. And what sort Not of price much. could uh, Robin get for that, Matthew?
6: Well, I mean, it, it's it's if you're being transparent with people, um, then, uh, you know, you're obviously going to declare the false, but they might even feel that when they drive it. I mean, I'm guessing you feel the suspension when you're driving it, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things you could do, which is, which is very honest, is you can go and take it for an RTA passing test. It's 170 dirhams, and it's valid for 30 days. So as long as you sell that car within 30 days, then the person buying it uh, would have to take that test, and they can give you the 117, you can give them the test. But if it passes that RTA test, at least you're being very honest and saying, look, it's not a perfect car but at least it's been deemed roadworthy by the, by the RTA. So that's something that you may also consider doing, going to check if it will actually pass the RTA test. You can sell that car with that certificate then, and that's, that's got a, a, a lot more power, and it makes you look a lot more honest um, with the sale of the car.
0: Does that something you would consider, Robin?
4: Yes, yes, perhaps I'd have to. It's it's quite an old car already, but we've been keeping it for sentimental value.
0: Yeah, but it is it's hard, it's hard to let go. Uh, good luck with that then, Robin. Uh, Susheel, uh, Sus- sorry for murdering your name there, Sus- Hill, Uh joins <laughs> us on the line. How am I supposed to pronounce it? Go on. Uh, it's Sushil. Oh, okay, Sushil. Okay, got you. Okay, uh, how can Matthew help you to- today? Uh,
8: so I was planning to give away my Honda Pilot. Uh, uh, it's a 2013 model. Mm-hmm. Uh, four-wheel drive so it's fully maintained by uh, by honda directly by alpha Team, i still have a valid contractor uh, 200k mm-hmm. so i was just thinking uh, how much could i get for...
6: well you you certainly don't want to give it away what a great car um <laughs> the, the 2013 pilot is very desirable here um it's fantastic that you've, you've got the, uh, the warranty and the service contract still. I mean, you must be right on the edge of that expiring, but still that tells any buyer that that's been really well maintained and looked after. Um, sorry, what did you say the kilometers were?
8: Uh, it's 170,000.
6: Okay, so the kilometers are getting up there, but that's, that's going to be helped by the fact that you've got the, uh, the agency. I'm guessing if you said it's all wheel drive it's is it the uh, EX
8: it's the EX yes
6: yeah okay so i would say that car would be around 35000 if you were to sell it even though those kilometers are really high it doesn't beat the car down as much because of that fantastic record uh with the service history and the warranty okay is that helpful
0: okay. for you what do you think you will do uh
8: i think uh probably i'll hold on to it for a while and uh, probably by the end of the year I'll try to sell it off. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've been uh, thinking about selling.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Sucile, thank you so much for joining us. I murdered your name again, but you never know. If you call cool enough, I'll probably get it right eventually. Uh, Matthew Davidson is here with us from Dubizal, giving us advice on whether you should fix or flip. Uh, if you want to get that advice, you need to be quick. 4001 or call zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Probably got time for just uh, one or two more of a really quick. Uh, just to let you know about an accident on the Al-Kale Road uh, before the Al-Maidan Bridge that's towards uh, Aberdeen. It's resulting in traffic delays. So uh, please do drive carefully and safely there. Al-Kale Road just before the al Maidan Bridge heading towards in the direction of Abu Dhabi. Um, Matthew, just quickly, um, there is so much uh, available, obviously, on Dubai. And when people think about Dubai, I think they think about um a range of price points but perhaps people do not realize exactly uh how much some of the cars on there are being sold for i'm just looking at the three most expensive cars that were available today in third place uh, we've got a maserati mc12 for 14.5 million dirhams
6: yeah i I know that car um basically there were only 62 of these cars ever made Mm -hmm. um, but they made 12 of them specifically for racing. Um, and this is number 8 of number 12. Right. And what makes this one even more rarer is they, they were all made in blue, but the the, the, the person that originally specced this car specced it in orange. So the reason it's at 14.5 million is it's the certain elements that make this incredibly rare.
0: So, and then in number 2, we've got a 2020 McLaren Speedtail. That's for just slightly more, 14.86 million.
6: Yeah, the this is I'm a McLaren guy through and through so I know a lot about this car I mean this this is a phenomenal piece of engineering if you ever google McLaren Speedtail and just look at this car Mm. it looks like something from uh 2022 you know it's like it's like leaps leaps ahead of, of every other car um, this, this runs actually a 4-litre V8 twin-turbo, but it's also got a hybrid motor. Yep. Spits out over a 1,000 horsepower, does 250 mile an hour. Wow. Pretty special. Yeah. Um, you'll need the special uh, price tag for that car of $14.8 million for sure, yeah.
0: And just so, uh, very, very quickly, Matthew, before we let you go, um, top spot. 15.999, so basically 16 million dirhams. Bugatti Chiron, 110 anniversary uh, 2020 limited edition. This is one of 20 cars in the world available on DeBizzle.
6: Yeah, so the Chiron is one of Bugatti's latest wonder cars. Um, 110 is the, uh, the anniversary for Bugatti. Can you believe they're 110 wow. years old? Yeah. What a company. Um, this is 1500 brake horsepower, over 260 mile an hour. And you can actually go and see that car at vip motors in dubai and actually the speedtails at uh tomini so that they, you won't be able to see the maserati it's a private sale but the other two uh, cars the mclaren speedtail and the bugatti you can actually go and see these cars and they're they're really uh, unbelievable pieces of engineering
0: matthew thanks so much for joining us this week for fix uh, or flip i think you got gave out a lot of uh, excellent advice and uh, we'll speak to you again soon
6: yeah, thanks, Ray. Have a great day. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm
2: hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm. Every day I'm. Every day I'm, every day I'm hustling.
0: Faraz Javed is a broadcaster, TV presenter, and he's based out here in Dubai. Faraz, thanks so much for joining us.
10: I just love the intro; it was fantastic. I actually did like a little bit of a dance well, while the my intro music was
0: playing <laughs> fantastic. fantastic now you are a an expert in my opinion in the car hack ways of reducing the cost of your motoring experience and there's kind of three main ways that, that you do this um the one that impresses me the most is your ability to source your own parts tell us about it
10: so Ray, right, what happens is that over the years, I, I'm, I'm a car fanatic, all right? And I love cars. So just a quick background is when I first started buying cars, I realized that it was getting really expensive to get it serviced mm. um, at the dealership, all right? And now there, there are two parts of this story because... I am a big uh, advocate for getting your cars serviced at the service center yes. as long as your car is under warranty. Now, if your car is not under warranty, that's where the problem starts to rise. So we talk about cars that are five years um, older mm-hmm. than the manufacturing date, correct? Yes. Because uh, in the UAE, there are three, two types of warranties. One is your manufacturer warranty, which generally comes with three years. Um, and the second warranty, which kicks in, which dealers over here provide, is through third-party, and that's the extended warranty. Yeah. So that's two years on top of it. So what you really get is a total of five years. Now, what happens is with, within the first three years of your purchase of your car for a brand-new car is um, – you're covered. You don't have to worry about it. As long as there's wear and tear that is the manufacturer's uh, defect, mm-hmm. then you, you will be covered. That's not a problem. Obviously, wear and tear, like tires and brakes, those are not covered, right?
2: Yeah.
10: Um, but now, the tricky part starts when your 3 years manufacturer's warranty is over and your two-year extended warranty kicks in. Now, that can only be covered if... You um, do your regular services through uh, the dealership, which many a times can start to creep up and become expensive. Yep. So this is where I recommend one should start, you know, being smart when it comes to servicing your car. Mm. So when uh, what I started, what I learned from this whole experience is there. If you have to repair your car at the dealer. And let's say, uh, you know, there's a brake job for about 800 dirhams. Now, what many people forget is there are options outside as well. And usually brake jobs do not affect your warranty because it's just a a spare part that that anyone, any, you know, professional can install in your car and it does not affect your warranty. Now, if the repair involves engine work now, that is something I would not play with. That is something I would, if, it's, if my car's is under warranty, I'm going to go get it fixed at the dealers, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the plus side is if it's under warranty and if it's covered by the warranty program, then you don't have to pay a dime for it. Now, it, things get uh, a little bit trickier is when you don't have warranty or your warranty has ran out or it's not covered in the warranty. So what do you do? And the best thing to do is to go, to you know pick like a few top garages and these days thanks to our friend Google you can, uh, you know, find out ratings for most of the garages here in, in, in the UAE and yeah. Dubai. And you can look at which one has, you know, better customer service, which one. And people actually are really honest. They'll put down, you know, oh, you know, I had a great experience at this facility. You know, they were honest. They gave me the right quote, whatever it is. So you go down to at least two or three. It's like it's essentially like you're going to a doctor, correct? You know, you're going to get like uh, a <laughs> yeah. second opinion, a third car opinion. Doctor. That's what it is. <laughs>
2: a yes. car doctor.
10: There we go. <laughs> And um, so, you get, so you get like two or three quotes, all right? You compare which one you think is going to give you a better service and which one is actually giving you a better uh, rate in terms of repairing your car. Now, this is where I like to play smart. So if, for instance, let's say – let's stick with a brake job. Let's say, you know, Garage A offers you uh, a 500 Durhams mm-hmm. to replace your uh, car um, – uh, brake pads. And your garage B offers you four hundred and your garage C offers you two hundred, right? Now here's the thing, that there is something wrong because there's there's a huge gap between garage A and garage C because there's talked a about discrepancy. Two, yeah, there's there's like two or two, two or three hundred dirhams difference, right? So what's wrong? Why is it not consistent? So these are some of the things you need to start asking. And these days, it's so easy. Call one of you know one of the spare uh, spa uh, spare part dealers, spare part dealers, excuse me, and find out what the rate, how much it costs to purchase a brake pad yourself. And that's what you do. You go
0: you go, that, you go out directly, and you and you get the parts. And and it's, sorry for us, but in just twenty seconds, just if you could just wrap it up for us.
10: Yeah. So basically, I I I buy the spare part myself, and then give it to the garage and say, fix it. So the only thing I have to pay now is labor cost, which is only 100 dirhams. And I bought brake pads for 20 dirhams, 100 dirhams for labor, 120. I'm golden. He's
0: crafty. He's hustling for us, Javid. Thank you so much for joining us with with your car hack. We really appreciate it.